<laughs> Happy Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is today, which means Easter is just around the corner. Next week, we had a, a great opportunity to, uh, to share uh, Passover with uh, my, my buddy Bryce and his family out in, out in Livingston last night. Uh, Passover, or Pesach, was last night, and so this kicks off the, uh, today. Uh, today is Passover, and then it's, it kicks off uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so, as you, know, as you know, like Jewish holidays, they actually begin on sundown. So last night started the day, and so, you know, Jewish day, and so it'll end, uh, and the first day of unleavened bread will, will begin tonight at sundown. But it is a great, great season to celebrate. And uh, if you know anything about Passover, Passover is when um, the you know, Jewish people and us, I mean, people from, you know, Judeo-Christian, you know, we, we, we have our roots in uh, the Jewish faith. Uh, and the fulfillment of the, of the Messiah in Jesus Christ. And so we get to celebrate the Passover too because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, and, and because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, God's wrath passes over us. Uh, the, the angel of death passes over us uh, because, the, because of the, blo- the blood of Jesus Christ on our hearts has washed us clean from that. And so it's a great celebration for us as the church um, you know, to do. And so I, I'd even, even love maybe next year that we can do a, maybe a big Passover Seder here in, in the church building and just go nuts with it and have, have fun uh, with celebrating uh, God's deliverance of, God, of, of the Hebrews from Israel. I'm sorry, from Egypt, uh, which is what Passover uh, commemorates and celebrates. So it was a great, great time to do that. Uh, and so today is Palm Sunday. If, you don't, if you're not familiar, the story tells um, the Palm Sunday is when Jesus came uh, into Jerusalem, and he came down the road, of, you know, from the Mount of Olives, uh, out of Bethany, uh, in the east, and he was coming down and coming into the temple, also called the Triumphal Entry. And as he was coming into the city, uh, they were they were putting palm branches down, they were waving palm branches, they were laying their cloaks down, and this was a very royal welcome for Jesus. A royal welcome. This is a, 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 the way that they greeted kings in those days. And so this was a very royal announcement and celebration of, of Jesus as the king of the Jews. Um, he came in and celebrated on, on Monday, and he left being, you know, being led out carrying his cross. A, a donkey bore him in, into the city, and he bore his cross leaving the city. They were, he was greeted with cheers at the beginning of the week, and driven out with jeers, and killed and murdered brutally on a cross, and jeered by the crowds. And so this, this begins a very strange, contra, you know, contrasted and juxtaposed week uh, for us. That we believe that, this, uh, that it starts, this week starts out so good, so wonderful and celebratory. The king, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. Hosanna means blessed is he, is he who saves Come and save us, deliver us, which Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to do. And so this was a very juxtaposed week um, that, that happened in the life of, of God's people that we observe as the church, that we celebrate the beginning and then as things progress, that Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples, went and prayed, was arrested, betrayed by one of his disciples, was brutally beaten and scourged with the cat of nine tails and then 
murdered on a cross, executed as a common criminal, between two common criminals. But what are my two favorite words in the Bible? But God. And that's what we get to celebrate next week. And, and be super excited to come together to, to celebrate and to um, just rejoice that we, you know, and we can even you know, celebrate that today, that we have a risen Savior. We, we worship a risen Lord. And so as we get started here this morning, I wanted us to remember that that's what brings us together, is this week. And so this week, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be posting, I'm going to be posting stuff on my Facebook and, and the Shift Church Facebook page. Um, and probably I'll see if I can do the website. I know, I know a lot of you guys have been going away from social media. So I'll try to post it on the website for you guys to go and check out um, different, different days and, and the significance of each day and what Jesus did through the timeline of this, this week as he went to, to the cross. Uh, and then eventually uh, from emerging from the grave. So, uh, and a great way to do that. So one of our announcements is this. In order to get, you know, get informed, on a, you can take your phone and actually scan that QR code uh, or you can go to shiftchurch.flocknote.com and sign up or also on your, your handout there, your handout sheet that was available on the table. Um, you, there's a QR code you can just scan. It'll take you right to the website and you can just put in your name, your, your cell phone number and your email address. And this is just a, a blast that will get you information. Uh, so I might be able, you know, be able to post like, hey, this video on, you know, Maundy Thursday or this, you know, what happened on Monday when Jesus came into town, when Jesus came into the temple, you know, go and check out my, the video of my teaching, you know, today, you know, right now it's live, go, you know, uh, so that way you get information. And so I, like I said, I promise I, I hate uh, those organizations and, and things that send you emails and text messages like every second, like 10 emails a day. I'm just like, delete, 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 delete. I don't care anymore. Stop texting me. So I, I promise, you, you, me above all people understand you don't want to be bothered all the time. And so I just want to give you information that is relevant and that I believe that as a member of this church, you need to have. So this is, if you're a member of this church, this is an important lifeline that you'll want to have. Uh, this will be the, the hub for all things information coming out about the church. So if you would, please go and sign up uh, to receive these uh, emails and text messages. Um, in, in coming, going to the future. Also, the, if you're a part of the ACT groups, there's a way to sign up uh, to, be, to join the, the specific text groups for the, you know, the, the men's, act, men's Adventure ACT group and the Women's Bloom ACT group as well. So there's like two private things, two you know, private uh, text message and email chains in that as well. So if you want to sign up for that, you can. Um, I think that's everything. So um, as we get started this morning, um, we're going to continue our, our, our series in Luke. If you haven't noticed, we've been going through Luke. Uh, each, each Sunday is, is titled something completely different, but we're going through Luke. If you've been noticing where our scripture passages have been coming from. And so today we're, I'm excited to, to get into uh, the call of Levi. And so if you would turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn, turn this on. Sorry. We have lost the iPad that controls our sound system, and so I've had been having to control it from here. Um, but it, if I don't do that, it, all you see is the you know the thing on the on the screen here. Um, <laughs> so as we get started, uh, if you would just go ahead and turn to, to Luke chapter five, we're going to start in twenty-seven. Um, but let, let's we're going to pray as we get started to to ask God to open up our our hearts to receive what He would have for us today. God, we thank you so much for your Word. 
God, I just love the Bible. And God, we are all about the Bible here on, here at Shift Church on Sunday mornings. God, we love your word. And we want to get into your word and learn it, Lord Jesus. Because there's, there's power in your word. It is the, the double-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God. It is the, the weapon that we wield against the enemy of this world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would equip us that you would inspire us, that you would stir within us truth because your word is truth as you prayed in John 17, in your word. So God, open up our minds and our hearts to receive from here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you would uh, stand with me as, for the reading of the Lord's word here this morning. As I, as I want to say, this is the, the part of our, our time together where this is prominent. I want to put the word of God at the forefront of our minds. And so then when we, when we sit down, we're receiving my words. And I, I'm just a man and I can err, but this is the word of the Lord. Um, so I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation uh, here this morning. So Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 27 to 32. Afterward, Jesus went out and looked for a man named Matthew. He found him sitting at his tax booth, his tax booth for he was a tax collector. Jesus said to him, Be my disciple and follow me. That very moment, Matthew got up, left everything behind, and followed him. Matthew wanted to throw a banquet to honor Jesus, so he invited Jesus to his home for dinner, along with many tax collectors and other notable sinners. While they were all sitting together at the table, the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law complained to Jesus' disciples. Why would you defile yourselves by eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't Jesus know it's wrong to do that? Jesus overheard their complaining and said, Who goes to the doctor for a cure? Those who are well or those who are sick? I have not come to call the you know, righteous, quote unquote, but to call those who fail to measure up and bring them to repentance. You can maybe be seated. You ever feel left out? You ever, you ever, you know, go on social media or find out that a group of, of friends or family went and did something without you? Anyone ever been picked last for kickball at recess? I've been there. You know, we, we, we feel the sting of, of being left out, of, of people just walking by us. You know, even, even as you, if you ask, uh, I asked uh, several homeless uh, folks you know, that I knew in Waco, what is the number one thing that you wish people would do when they, when they walked by you? And the number one thing, they didn't say, give me money. They didn't say, give me whatever. Just look me in the eyes. If you treat, you know, treat, treat me as a human, like I'm over here with a sign, and it's like I've got leprosy, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Like I've got leprosy or, or the plague of some sort. All I want is to be seen and noticed. But so often, there, there's different elements in our world that we can feel left out. We can feel pushed to the side. We can feel um, just that someone doesn't care. Someone doesn't care about us and, do, and someone doesn't care to know us. Feeling relationally isolated. Feeling uh, maybe even in the church. Maybe this is something that we have encountered in the church. I mean, I know I've, I've felt left out in the church. I know that I have felt rejected. 
that I'm not good enough, that I don't measure up. I've gone to churches where every single Sunday I, I leave feeling worse and worse about myself instead of better about myself, about who I am in Christ. I just cannot measure up to what the pastor was, was preaching. I got dejected and I just wanted to, to give up. I was like, I'm done. I feel religiously insufficient because I didn't understand the grace of God. And so often in this culture that we're reading about, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees wanted to make sure that everyone knew that they were better than them. That you were religiously insufficient, but you needed to try hard. But you would never be enough. But you got to keep trying hard. But you'll never be enough. So that's why you got to keep trying harder. And so this is where we get our message this morning. And the main thing that Jesus is trying to pinpoint in this story that we just read, this narrative, is that Jesus, he's for everyone. The, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel of God's kingdom is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. God's kingdom is for every single person. And so as we get into this passage, let's look, let's look at, uh, at Matthew. So Levi, so it talks about Levi here. So Matthew is Levi, so, and Levi is Matthew. So oftentimes people had two names in that culture. They had a Roman name, and then they had a Jewish name. And so most likely, um, because Luke is the author to the Gentiles, Matthew was his Jewish name, and, which meant uh, gift of Yahweh, and Levi was his Gentile name. And so that's why Luke uses it, because Luke is writing to Gentiles, uh, pagans, you know, uh, Greeks. And so who would have understood Levi as, a, as his name? So we can find this story also in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 2. Um, but what did, what did he do? He left everything. He, he followed Jesus. You know, he preached the gospel in Judea. This is just kind of an overview of, of Matthew, if you will. Um, so this is, this is going even way beyond the scope of our story here today. So Matthew himself became a, a follower of Jesus. He became a Jesus follower, and he went by the name Matthew later on instead of Levi. But he preached the gospel in all of Judea. After, even after Jesus was ascended, he was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Matthew went and he preached the gospel with the other twelve. Until the time, as it records in the book of Acts, this time of great persecution and basically the church scattered. All the disciples scattered and the only ones that remained in, in Jerusalem were Peter, James, and John, the big three. All the other apostles, the other disciples, just like scattered everywhere else. And he ended up in Ethiopia, traditionally. Uh, there's a couple different stories. You know, scholars and theologians kind of differ on this. There's not a lot written about Matthew. And so a lot of this comes from just traditions and maybe random writings that they've been being able to find in certain places. Uh, so Ethiopia is traditionally where he ended up. Um, and he took the gospel there to plant church, plant churches in Ethiopia. Um, but eventually around, the, I think, 80, 50 or so, the king of Ethiopia commanded that he be killed. And one of the soldiers... Um, pinned him down to the floor and cut his head off with an axe and died for his faith, was, became a martyr for the faith. So that is Matthew. That is Levi. That is who we're talking about here in this passage. Um, now again, if you've seen The Chosen, you'll, you'll know that this, was the su this is the super awkward kind of Asperger's you know, guy from The Chosen. 
Um, so, you know, yeah, but like, Amber and I were talking, like, the more we watch, like, Levi, the more we watch Matthew, the more we like him. Um, just super, like, can, you know, you can see him in, in today's culture, like, super nerdy, super, gets numbers. Like, those people that get numbers, if you, if you get numbers, raise your hand. If you get, you love spreadsheets, you love organization. No, I know Megan's got her hands full, otherwise she'd raise her hand. But, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, love numbers and love spreadsheets, love organization. That's not me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know enough to be dangerous. But Levi, this tax collector, was one of these guys. He got numbers. He got organization. He got money. I'm so thankful we have an accountant at this church. For, oh my gosh, this church, God bless you. We, we'd probably be in trouble. But I tell you, our accountant, you know, Shelby Simonson, amazing. If you ever need your, your bookkeeper, go to Shelby. Uh, but like, this is amazing. Like just seeing this guy, this tax collector. And this is the kind of person that is, Jesus is reaching out to. He's seeing this guy. Probably this, you know, Matthew's in Capernaum. This is one of the larger area, you know, city areas and the fishing hub. And so there's a tax booth and Roman headquarters. Actually, Capernaum was one of the first places in Israel to have a Roman garrison stationed there uh, in one of the towns. And so this is a, a very heavily Roman controlled, very like the, the center of the culture around Galilee at the time. And so they're tax collectors, but tax collectors were hated. Like, they were hated. I kept trying to think about like, okay, what, oh, hello. what kind of person today would be hated? I mean, IRS, I mean, tax people, I, mean, I, can, I can see, you know, we, can, we hate tax, you know, tax season. It's tax season right now, right? And we, we just like, oh, taxes. If I don't do them right, I'm going to be in super big trouble and have to pay thousands of dollars and more taxes and penalties and fees and stuff. So maybe IRS agents? I don't know. Like trying to think about who is like a hated person in today's culture. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I can't really can, you know, pinpoint the kind of hatred that they had for this guy. Cartel leader, that's a good one. Cartel leaders, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the henchmen, you know, the, henchmen, you know, the cartels and, and the, the leaders and the henchmen. So this, in, in essence, would actually be viewed as for the cartels. So someone who did their bidding. And not only that, but these people were looked as traitors because they, they charged their own people money. These were typically Jewish people that were, that were um, recruited by the Romans to collect taxes for Rome. And you know, in Rome would kill Israeli people, control them, they would fund abortions, they would fund the army that would annihilate nations, including themselves. You want to talk about a systemic injustice, Rome was the epitome of it. But they also funded, you know, they had roads as well because of the Roman Empire. They had this Pax Romana, this, this Roman peace that spread throughout the land because of taxes. But it was peace at the edge of a sword, but peace nonetheless. But these people, these, these, these tax collectors were Jewish men and women that worked for the Romans. So they worked for the enemy, but not, not only that, but they, they actually charged like exorbitant amounts over and above what they should have been charged, cheating their own people out of their own money. 
They abandoned and took advantage of their own people. Most of the times, their family disowned them. Uh, they lived elsewhere in the, you know, on the other side of the tracks, in the, in the nice neighborhood, you know, across the way, out of you know, the, the life of the Jewish people, more, more likely in a Hellenistic house on a different side of the town with the, next to the Roman garrison. Um, they had difficulty traveling to their posts. Again, look at, look at you know, watch The Chosen, you'll see this. They were hated by the Jews, but because they were Jewish, they were also hated by the Romans, the very ones that they were working for. So they were hated by everyone except themselves. The only friends that they would have were their tax collectors and other people just like them, other sinners in that area. And so this is, this is the kind of guy that Matthew is. Now, with the chosen, they, they took some liberties you know, with his personality. So we, don't, we really know, don't really know what kind of personality he had. Um, but we do know that he was in Capernaum. And most likely, this wasn't the first encounter that Matthew had, that Levi had with Jesus. He was probably hearing about everything going on because as we've been hearing, Jesus had already started to do healings. Jesus had already started to, to preach and, and, ex- and exercise demons. He, he had started to do all these incredible things, like the story that we read last week of the four friends letting their friend down. It happened just right before this. Word spread. Levi might, may have actually been there to see it, to see some of these things. And so he was hearing this thing about Jesus, and all of a sudden he sees him, and he's like, maybe it was kind of like, you know, like a celebrity moment. Anyone ever seen, you know, seen a celebrity in real life? You're like, no, 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 no. Uh, hi. And so this man was sitting there at his booth and Jesus said, follow me. And boom, he left everything, leaving everything behind and boom, he went. He's like, I'm in. Maybe, maybe you know, he had been suffering for so long and maybe he was like, I don't like these people. I don't like the Romans. They're treating me like garbage. And I want to be reconciled to my, to, to my own people. And here's this, this rabbi asking me to follow him. This is my chance. This is my chance to reconnect. This is my chance to come out of isolation. This is my chance to come out of being hated and despised by my own people, by my family and my friends. I'm in. Who are you again? He followed him. It was a privilege. Because when you're offered something far better than the situation that you're in, you better go. In terms of of what what Jesus is calling this man to do. And what does he do? He's so excited. He's so enamored with his, his new future, his new potential, the new potential that he throws a great banquet for Jesus. What he says, you know, Matthew wanted to throw a banquet to honor Jesus. This was this kind of banquet, you know, is, this was fancy. Like when, this is the only, the only other time that this is mentioned is later in, in the gospel where he's, where he's mentioning this wedding feast, this, this great banquet, this person was throwing and they're sending, you know, say, you know, send invitations to this person and that person and this person and all of them are like, meh, I'm good, I'm, I'm busy, oh, look at the time. You know, and he's like, screw it, I'm going to go 
go out and invite just people from the highways and the byways. Just invite everyone. Because again, remember, Jesus says, for everyone. He throw this, so the only time that this is ever talked about, this, this word, great banquet, is that great banquet feast that it talks about later, this great celebration. Anyone ever been to a fancy schmancy you know, celebration or, or banquet? Like at a convention center or something? You know, restaurant? I remember, one, you know, I used to work at a convention center and they had fancy stuff all the time. It was really cool. As an audiovisual guy, I got to usually partake of the flat iron steak and the, you know, the Alfredo stuffed chicken and you know, I felt very fancy eating my, you know, $35 food plate behind the curtain in the back controlling the sound. But I remember like going with Amberlynn's uh, great, you know, grandmother and great aunt to this, this, uh, this banquet for Albert, uh, that actually Albertson threw on uh, for this golf tournament to raise funds for the Weezer River Trail. And we got there. And I wasn't really sure what to expect. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. There was like an open bar. I was like, oh, okay, that's fancy. And I got in there and like, there was like this big old like, you know, centerpiece and like had Hershey this and that all. I mean, it's so nice. And like took the first bite of the chicken. I was like, oh my gosh. Like had like the cloth napkins and like all the silverware and like four, you know, glasses, goblets. And it was so nice. It was so fancy. It blew my expectations. And then they're like, and featuring tonight's entertainment, the band Perry. I was like, oh my gosh, my wife is going to be so jealous. Because that's one of her favorite bands. Um, and they were playing live. Like this was fancy. This was amazing. And this is the kind of great banquet with probably a band or something entertainment wise that they would throw back then. Nice plates, all the goblets, all the silverware the fattened calf or the lamb or whatever it was, like it was fancy. And the, and, and the, you know, the invitations were sent out. They had nice invitations that had the guest of honor. The guest of honor, Yeshua. Jesus of Nazareth is the guest of honor. What's throwing this party? Oh, these tax collectors? Oh. No, thanks. Because even by setting foot in a tax collector's house, you made yourself unclean. Because they spent time in Roman houses and Roman tax collecting booths and Roman buildings, and they were unclean all the time, according to their Jewish customs, their Pharisaic customs. And Matthew invited the only people he really knew, tax collectors and sinners. And this is a picture of something that is so beautiful that Jesus, about Jesus' ministry. That Jesus' ministry shifts God's focus from the temple to the table. As you see, the sacredness of God's presence. Where do you go to dine with God? You know, if you read the, if you read the, the old covenant, the new, uh, you know, the first covenant, the, you know, the Pentateuch, and it's describing the sacrificial systems. I've been kind of mentioning this a little bit here and there. But basically, the, the tabernacle was the center of the camp of the Israelites, and they would bring their sacrifices, their meat, if you would, you know, their animals to the temple and slaughter the animals there and give its blood to the Lord because the Lord said the life of the animal, the life of a being is in its blood. So your life is in your blood. The, the life of an animal is in its blood. And he said if you, sacrifice, if you, if you kill and slaughter an animal anywhere else, Outside the tabernacle, if you sacrifice it away from the camp, 
you're sacrificing and worshiping the goat gods because you're giving the life of this animal to demons. And so you have to, have to sacrifice, you have to give the blood when you're, even if you're just slaughtering the animal to eat. That's why most of the, th- the times, if you look, a lot of the sacrifices, they would take the fattened portions, the fatty portions on the liver, on the kidneys, and these different fatty portions, and they would burn those on the altar, but either the priests or the offerer got the meat. That's why the Passover lamb, they didn't just throw a lamb on there and just like burn the whole thing. They, they stripped, they just skinned it, and they offered the fatty portions to the Lord on the altar, and then they took the meat home for them to eat. The same thing with the, with the cows, with the, with the ox. They would offer the ox on the altar, the fatty portions on the altar and burn those and they would take the meat home and prepare it for their family, their clan. They would give the life of the animal to God. And then there were some sacrifices that the meat would actually go to the priests. You know, sin offerings often went to the priests. And then there were others that were whole burnt offerings, but that was a, very, that was a much more rare circumstance. But most often, it's this, this concept of the feasts at the temple they would bring their, their, they would basically bring their meat with them, this, these animals, they'd bring their animals with them, sacrifice them in the temple, and they would hang out for a week like this, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread was another one. Uh, uh, Shavuot was another one of these, you know, uh, the Pentecost, and uh, Sukkot, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. These three festivals were in Jerusalem, and they would bring animals to, to slaughter and they would take the meat home for the feast. This was a feast. That's where they got the food from. They would offer the fatty portions, offer this animal to the Lord. And the significance of this was that they would eat in God's presence. That's the significance of these festivals. These feasts were these times where all of Israel was gathered together as a giant extended family into one place, into one city. And, they, you know, and because they believe that the presence of the Lord, God's presence, God's special Shekinah glory, His dwelling presence, His hanging out presence was hanging out in Jerusalem. And so they would come to Jerusalem to feast with the Lord, to hang out around the table with God during the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread, during Shavuot, during Sukkot. As, we, as you may have heard me say, after God's presence left the temple in like eight, you know, the 6th century BC, it never came back. They built the second temple, God never came back. The Holy Spirit never returned to the mercy seat of the second temple until Jesus. Until Jesus came and, his, and the Spirit of the Lord came again. And now we see that instead of people coming to Jerusalem to dine with the Lord, Jesus is saying, I am going to go and dine with you. I am going to come out of, my, out of heaven and dine with you where you are, in your city, in your house. So we'll get to it in, in a few years you know, with Zacchaeus. I'm going to come and eat with you in your house, chief tax collector. Jesus, this sets the precedent. This is this like kickstarts Jesus's habit or you know, or mo of meeting and sharing table fellowship with people. 
This is what created and sparked the church, is table fellowship. Having, sharing a meal together around the table defined the early church, defined Jesus' ministry. This was huge for them because the table for them meant associating with people. I will be with you. I will associate with you. Kind of like, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, political figures nowadays. Like you see uh, a, lot of the, a lot of times when they're trying to, you know, smir- you know besmirch a political figure, they'll try to, you know, muster up some picture that they found with, of, of someone with someone that's dirty. Like the most famous one nowadays is like, you know, the Clintons with Donald Trump or, you know, Donald Trump or the Clintons or Obama or someone, anyone, anyone with Jeffrey Epstein. Did you take a picture at one point in any time, even back to the 60s in college, with Jeffrey Epstein so that we can smear your reputation? Because that's, you know, taking photos as political figures today was like sharing a table with people back in Jesus' day. Their cameras were a little, you know, a little more primitive. There was more drawings on cave walls. But the Pharisees, we read about in this passage, were super concerned with maintaining their ritual purity. And we're talking things that aren't even in the Bible, like an entire Talmud and, and Mishnah, or Talmud and Mishnah, these extra books that were written later, all about the extra things that you know, these, these Pharisaical people would practice and do. So they wouldn't break the law, but what they ended up doing was breaking the law by observing their, their rituals and the, the commands and the traditions of men. And so they wanted so much to be, uh, appear to be pure. They were so concerned about their appearance. And that's where we can see this contrast. We see this contrast between the unclean and despised, but legally protected traitor and the ritually pure and respected privileged elites. You know, this unclean you know, traitor, like I said, worked for the enemy. They're unclean because they frequented Gentile buildings and worked for the enemy. And you see this, this group of, of privileged elite, you know, richly pure, high and mighty, holy rollers. I, I love this word elites. Elite means you know, a group or class of people seen as having the greatest power and influence within a society, especially because of their wealth or privilege. It's interesting. This, the, the first definition of this word is actually you know, something like the elite soldiers, like someone who, you know, some people who earned their status as elite in the sense of like strength and honor and dignity and skill. And then there was other people who were elite because they imposed it on people and became it just simply by force. Their reputation, they, they earned a position as elite by farce because everyone just simply recognized them as this privileged class of people. And Jesus himself was criticized for association, his association with the irreligious and unpatriotic outsiders. People who weren't like, you know, waving the, the, the Jewish flag, and, you know, but they were working for, the, for the, the enemy. And for his disassociation with religious people, practices and procedures, Jesus wouldn't play their game. He's like, no, I, we don't play that. 
I, I do what my father tells me to do. And, and he has not called me to be a part of your He-Man Woman Haters Club or He-Man Sinner Hater Club. Sinner Hater Club. He, but to show the love of God. This, this contrast, this, this juxtaposition between the, the self-satisfied, self-righteous Pharisees and the humble sinners who would later become his disciples. Jesus didn't come to call the religious. He came to, to call sinners, to changing, changing their mind, to changing and shifting their allegiance, to repenting and believing and honoring God. Because these Pharisees, as they're interacting with you know, this tax collector and these sinners, they forgot the very essence of their purpose as God's chosen people. If you read in the Old Testament, it says the purpose of Israel was to be a light to the nations, to attract. Like our, like our steeple here. Say I've heard so many people at random places, you know, I was getting my hair cut and someone else talking, you know, talking to me like, gosh, I mean like four or five different times just in the last like two weeks, I've talked to people that said, oh yeah, you have the steeple that's lit up. I'm like, yeah, that's where, come on, come and join us. Like, oh yeah, it's like a lighthouse. I'm like, yeah, kind of is like a lighthouse, doesn't it? It's this, they were supposed to be the light to the world to attract people to it. You know, like a, like a used car lot with the big lights in the sky and, you know, shining the big way, you know, the big beam of light. And you follow and you're like, oh, another used car lot. No, never mind. But we were supposed to be the light to God, to attract people to God. His goodness, His gentleness, His mercy, His faithfulness. The sense of meaning, the sense of joy, sense of connection, relationship. And they forgot all about that. And they especially forgot, forgot about their, their identity to care for their own Jewish family. And they condemned Jesus. It's been said, I love this quote, a healer must expect to get his hands dirty. That's why you know, Jesus is saying here, I have come not to call the you know, righteous, but to, but to call those who fail to measure up and bring them to repentance. Why? Because he gives this illustration. Who goes to the doctor for a cure? Those who are well or those who are sick? It's like saying to someone who's coming into the emergency room in an ambulance, sorry, you have to get your body back in order before we can see you in the emergency room. You've you got to heal yourself of cancer before we'll give you a PET scan is that right? Is that the right scanner? For can Pet scanner, is that the cancer scanner? Okay, that's the one. I should have called and asked earlier. <laughs> it's the sick that are coming. And Jesus is bringing them in and, and getting his hands dirty. But it's not, that's the thing. Jesus isn't getting his hands dirty. He's bringing healing and restoration to those who are dirty. Have a, a seared conscience those who feel dirty, those who feel insufficient, those who feel isolated, 
And Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring, I'm going to take your not enough and make you enough. Because I know you can't. I know you can't. But here's the thing, my grace is sufficient for you. And I love you and you are enough. Because I am enough. Because my grace is enough. Like the Pharisees, when you come to a place where you believe you have arrived, like theologically, intellectually, or you've gotten it all right, and have demonized everything and everyone else outside of your opinion and your theology and your doctrine and your politics and your economic status, when you've isolated yourself from all those, change and repentance becomes an enemy to be fought rather than a mercy to be embraced. Because it seems to accept someone that may dif- you know, di- differ and disagree with you is like this compromise. And compromise is, is evil. And so we, we, have to, we have to fight that. We have to fight compromising because I have arrived. I am right. God's word says it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, I'll get your interpretation of what God said, God's word says. But being humble to say, God, what do you desire? Because these Pharisees, they knew the word of God, left hand, left, you know, back and forward, front and back, better than anyone. They had it memorized since they were children. They started teaching their kids when they were five to memorize the Torah. And yet they didn't see Jesus. And they were unwilling to receive the grace of Jesus because Jesus was doing things outside of their opinion of God's word. Because when you become the arbiter of truth, the only way that you can or are willing to look is down. Because you've placed everyone else beneath you. And that's exactly what these Pharisees did. When you're religious... When someone comes along who you view that has more faith, more power, and more influence, you feel threatened. I have to impose myself. And I tell you what, there is something about, you know, audiovisual text, you know, that we have this thing of like, oh yes, oh yeah, oh yeah, the new uh, PG-1s, and uh, oh yes, the the new Crown XM-42s, and blah, blah, blah. Like we have to know everything and just kind of like pose ourselves. Like I know more or at least I know, what, I know as much as you. And so it's like this, this you know, poop slinging match. You know, trying to position and posture ourselves to not feel insufficient. And oftentimes we can do that in our faith. And people get in the way. And this is oftentimes when people leave churches feeling hurt because they never can feel like they fit in among the religious elite that know everything. But when you are the one with humility and faith, when you you are one that experiences God's mercy and God's grace and God's compassion and his love, when a person like this comes along, you are inspired that's awesome. I love your faith. Can you show me how to have that faith? Can you teach me how to pray like that? Man, that's so good. 
You feel inspired. You be inspired. Which do you feel? Because Jesus' desire was to, what did he say? His mission, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That was his goal. That was his mission. It's interesting to see that you know, oftentimes when we read, of, you know, think about or hear about Jesus' ministry, we always hear that Jesus went to the poor. Jesus went to the poor. Jesus went to the poor. Went to the poor. Now, he had better luck with the poor. But Jesus has a very powerful ministry to the rich. And I love this because this is one of the only times in all of Scripture that we see someone who is ridiculously wealthy, filthy rich, has everything, has no problems-ish with money. Heard Jesus' call to follow? Sell everything and give it to the poor and, and come and follow me? And he left Jesus. But compared to Levi, where he left everything, he left everything behind. Jesus was more important. I wonder if he even like spent all his, all of his money or most of it on the banquet. Or maybe this was something that kick-started Jesus' ministry financially. But Jesus has still today, even though it's so difficult, you know, it's easier to put a camel to the eye of a needle, as it says, than for a rich man, a wealthy person to come to faith. Well, we're seeing a camel coming through the eye of a needle here. And it's still possible today. There's still hope for the wealthy today. There's still hope for the American uh, businessman and wealthy person here today in our country. There's no one in our culture that is too far gone, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. There's no one who is too far gone to the Lord in any way, shape, or form that they would not be able to come to faith in Jesus. Because Jesus is for everyone. And Jesus wants to transform everyone. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. Men, women, children, teenagers. God wants to change and transform everyone. This is what's at, at stake here. This is spiritual transform, transformation. Not just acceptance. Jesus wasn't just like, hey, come and be with me. But you don't have to like give up the, your, your old ways. You don't have, you know, come with me. It's a, it is a safe place. You don't have to ever be disagreed with. You don't have to just, you, know, you, don't, you can just be in an echo chamber. We'll just make sure that you're over here and people that talk just like you and think just like you. As we'll see in a, few, in, in a couple weeks, Jesus called people from every walk of life, from the, you know, the political zealot to the fisherman, to the humble person, to the tax collector, all sorts of people from all over society. Because he wants to come and transform each and every one of our lives. That word metanoia, change your thinking, change your logic, which changes your trajectory and how you live. So we accept the person in order to transform their lives. 
in order to watch God transform each other's lives. We don't try to like, try to, you know, like that's where a lot of this like condemnation and judgment, you know, is felt in the church is when we try to change people. When we try to like say, you need to change this and change that and change this and change that. In our own opinion, just like the Pharisees were doing to everyone else in their culture. And we started ending up, you know, slinging mud. Versus we bring them to Jesus because Jesus is the one who transforms them. Jesus is the one that transforms us. Jesus is the one that transforms minds and hearts. We bring them to Jesus. Just like the friends last week, the best way to to love someone is to bring them to Jesus because Jesus is for everyone. And Jesus will transform anyone. Pharisaical legalism is the belief that people need to transform their lives before they can be acceptable to God. But God's kingdom gospel is that God accepts us as we are so that he can transform our lives. Pharisaical legalism is not the way that Jesus taught his disciples to live, but in freedom and loving acceptance because Jesus is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. God's kingdom, the church, is for everyone. And no matter where you are broken or, or, or feel broken, you are acceptable to God. God has made you enough. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, been baptized in him, then you are acceptable to God. Romans 12, 1. 12, 1 and 2. In light of this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why or how? How are you able to do this? Holy and acceptable. Because he has made you acceptable, that's why you can offer your life as a living sacrifice to God. That's how God transforms you by the renewing of your mind. Is because you are holy and acceptable to God. And you are welcome in his church. And you are welcome in this church. I don't want each person that darkens that door to feel that they are welcome in this church. No matter where they come from. No matter what lifestyle that they have. No matter what political affiliation. No matter what socioeconomic class. No matter if they're able-bodied or disabled no matter if they are a different personality, every person in all of this city, in all of this region, should feel welcome and accepted in this place. The gospel is already offensive, offensive enough. We don't have to help. We don't have to overtly offend people to feel like we're standing for truth. We stand for truth and let the gospel be that which either is the fire that, that hardens the clay or softens the heart. In this church, you have a family. In the, in the church, you have a, a worldwide family. We have a family that's not just shift church. You know, the table and you know, the Hope Lutheran and 
Connect Church and the River and Journey and C3 just down the street here and uh, what is it? Celebration of Life Church over there. We have a family that is thousands upon thousands upon millions of people worldwide. And that is the family that we are a part of. I love, the, I love going to different places like all over the country, all over the world. And I found out some, find out someone's a Christian and I love their reaction sometimes. They're like, oh my gosh, you're a Christian too? Oh, me too. Let's talk about the Bible. They're like talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus, talking about the Lord because we automatically have a connection. We automatically know something that brings us together and have a, an automatic love for one another, a brother and sisterly love for one another right off the bat. You have a family if you're willing to leave everything behind that has been keeping you weighed down and follow Jesus by putting your faith and allegiance in Jesus. Let him be the one that transforms your life and let him be the one that transforms others' lives as we live together and as we share, as Jesus did, table fellowship with one another. Because if we truly believe that we are given God's Holy Spirit, then God's presence has truly shifted from the temple to the table. And we are dining. When we come together and share table fellowship, we are dining with one another and dining with God. We are dining with him in his true Jerusalem, which is the church. That is the beauty of table fellowship. That is why we do act groups. That's why we do home church gatherings. That's why we do table fellowship. We get to experience God in a, in a powerful and beautiful way. Just by sharing some buffalo, buffalo dip with each other. Sharing a beer together with the guys. Sharing a... a Fruit and vegetable platter. I don't know. What did you guys have yesterday? Some snacks. This is the beauty of the church is coming together and leading one another to Jesus always and continually to inspire one another in our faith with, one, with, with the Lord because Jesus is for everyone. Jesus, we, we pray that you would show us the truth of the gospel, that you are truly for everyone. That you are for people that we disagree with, that we, that we agree with, that we, that we know, that we love, and those that we don't. And God, show us our, your heart for people who are outsiders right now. For the, the tax collectors and sinners in our own culture, Lord, that the, even the culture itself would, would dis, disregard. It's too far gone unreachable. Show us the love and compassion that you have for each person, Lord, in the world that you have created. Show us, Lord Jesus, how to love the way that you loved. And show us what it means, Lord Jesus, to be a part of that kingdom, to feel your acceptance, to feel that joy. to feel that love ourselves so that we can share it and partake in that love with others. To open ourselves up, Lord, 
to being with your family and calling others to become a part of your family. There are so many people in our world right now, God, that need connection and relationship. First and foremost, Lord, with you and with a, ch- and with a body of people, with the church in a meaningful relational atmosphere. So God, I pray that you would help us to create these relational opportunities, that we would pursue table fellowship with people, with each other and with others, that we would partake of your presence together and invite people to your temple, to invite people to your presence, to eat in your presence. Lord, as your, as your word says in, in the end of Revelation, calling all people to come and drink from the rivers of life, that you may find, they may find mercy. So Lord, let our church, let us as Shift Church be the river of life that we're calling people to come and drink freely of. So they may experience your love and your power and your forgiveness and eternal life found only in Jesus Christ. First in his name we pray.